Welcome in. What's going on? She got SD2 mics recording the sources on A2S Network, also under the umbrella of Under the Hood Podcast. You can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. As I said before, follow me at SD2 mics on Instagram and Twitter. Got my guy, C4 Dunk, Chris Kaysen in the building. What's up, C4? What's up? And down in the dirty south, I got Brian Crawford. At B Craw B underscore Craw 4D. What's up, boy? What's good, fam? I'm chilling. I'm in Dallas, man. Holding it down, working and playing. What's the talent look like? Oh, was some good hoop today, man. It was. It's you know, it's not a live period, so you don't got you know, what I'm saying you don't have to have all the distractions of the coaches, and you got the kids like you know trying to do extra stuff. They just out there open, so it was good for what I seen today. Yeah, Mac Irvin Fire. Currently on the EYBL circuit, I believe their record is nine and one. Yeah, they uh, they was up there at nine and one. Um, they was playing this morning. Uh, I didn't get to finish the game, but it was close. Um, and they they like they leading in the rankings with Texas Titans. They got like an all star squad or whatever, man. So uh, yeah, no, nah, it, it was it was real competitive. I seen Mean Streets this morning, so like I said, it was some good hope in the field. Yeah, I think they did pull that game out. Adam Miller, I think, had eighteen six and five. Uh, they tweeted that after the game. Uh, we're going to get into someone. He's definitely a prospect. We know Illinois is hot on his tail in the recruiting wars, and there's a new hire up in uh, Ann Arbor that I'm sure with his Chicago roots is going to tap in to Adam Miller real fast on the recruiting trail. We'll get to that in a little bit. We're going to talk about Kyrie. We're going to talk about Clay Thompson feeling snubbed and whether or not what he said about uh, one Kimball Walker is truth or trash. We're going to get into a little L.A. Confidential talking about the issues and interview that one Magic Johnson had on first taking some of his comments. But right now, I want to start with the defending champions going for a three-peat and trying to do so possibly without the best player in the world to most, one Kevin Durant. He spoke with the media on yesterday, and he had this to say about how the team has been playing without him. And since he got there, it's pretty much been KD and the Warriors. It's been that way since I got here. It's the Warriors and KD, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I understand that. And I felt like my teammates and the organization know exactly what I've done here on and off the court to become uh, part of this culture to kind of, uh, you know, kind of put my stamp my flag in this, co- you know, in this coach and this organization I've done in you know, the last two years. Pretty much everything that they asked me to do from – from an ambassador, I guess, of the organization and the community, from you know, working hard every single day and shoot rounds and practice. So I know what I bring to the team, but I also know that a lot of people on the outside, you know, don't like to see us together. And uh, you know, I get it. All right, so those are the comments by Kevin Durant. When you think about Kevin Durant, his injury, and the calf strain, as it's been called, most people originally thought it might have been an Achilles tear or some type of Achilles tendon injury. Are the Warriors better off moving forward versus Milwaukee, or are they better off moving forward without KD versus Toronto? Ooh, uh, I don't know if they're better off with KD, period. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, you just can't replace a guy like that. Um, in terms of matchups, I think 
it's probably more favorable if they run up against Toronto simply because, you know, Kawhi has had some issues. Um, I don't know if it's fatigue, injury, whatever. Um, so, you know, he hasn't, you know, he's been playing well, but obviously, you know, he's not been, he hasn't been the same player that we saw in like the first round or what happened. Um, with Milwaukee, well, and keeping on the Toronto theme, I also think, you know, Cal Lowry is just, I don't know, you know, trying to guard staff or, you know, just even his, his individual contribu- contributions is, is, is just so up and down. And I think, you know, I think Toronto will probably be a better matchup for Golden State in terms of them getting the title. As far as Milwaukee, I think, you know, I think that length does make a difference. But, you know, again, you know, we're talking about a team that's been to the finals, what, five times, you know, they won three of them or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's, I don't know if it's really appropriate to even look at them in that light. You know, I think we should probably be looking at, you know, who they might run up against. You know, I always say you got to respect, you know, the guys that's been champions previously. So it doesn't really matter. Obviously, they want to have KD, but it don't really matter, you know, whether it's Toronto or Milwaukee. One of those teams got to beat them. And, you know, we just have to kind of see how it plays out. Uh, definitely. Uh, just to coincide with that, I mean, I really don't see any team in the East, you know, Milwaukee or Toronto beating that Golden State team four times with or without KD. It's just, you know, with KD, they're over the top. Without KD, I mean, they still have one of the best offensive, defensive systems in the league. I mean, you look at the way Draymond has elevated his play the last six games. KD has been out. You look at what Steph did in the Western Conference um, semifinals, Western Conference finals, excuse me. And, you know, I don't see any team, you know, Toronto, Milwaukee, slowing Steph's rhythm down. I mean, Clay has kind of had a subpar mm-hmm. postseason. Normally one of those two two guys have like, a, you know, a subpar, you know, finals. But I think this is the year where they probably just – Locked, locked in. You know, so much taller noise that's going on around that team with KD's impending free agent. You know, them playing for, um, you know, the last time they'll be playing in Oracle. So I think they're all just locked in to a level where nobody's gonna. It doesn't matter who the opponent is gonna be at all. Well, with see. either opponent, they have a clear advantage in the fact that Lopez or Gasol mm-hmm. are gonna be taken out of the series yeah. via the pick and roll. Now that hurts both teams. I do think strategically Toronto having that guy, I think Kawhi Leonard has shown even in this Milwaukee series that he is a true closer, a true superstar. Giannis might be a level below him right now and might need to experience possibly not getting to the finals to learn how to develop that game and to develop that killer instinct when he gets into situations like he is today going up. We're currently recording game six is tonight and Toronto leads 3-2. Another thing that Milwaukee has strategically is they struggle against Toronto because Toronto does not turn the ball over. And they're not allowing Milwaukee to get out in transition is where really where Giannis prospers and where that team prospers. I don't care how good Golden State has been over the last five years. They turn the ball over. And it's amazing that they can have the guards that they do and have a point forward like one Draymond Green and they still get into the playoffs, even against Portland, and have a bad habit of turning the ball over. Now, that's something that they continue to do that would yield itself to giving Milwaukee a chance in the series. 
So I guess either way, both teams might have a chance to extend the series further than what we've seen them go against the Cavaliers other than the year they lost it yeah. in 2016. But if KD and I guess Boogie is supposed to return at some point early in the finals as well, according to reports, it's a foregone conclusion yeah, regardless I mean, of who they face. Even with you know just those turnovers in Portland, you look, I, I hate to say this, especially because it kind of you know, throws salt on like the competition, but in some of those they look I wanna say bored. Yeah. A little bit that. in just some of that. I mean when you mm-hmm. when you get down, we're talking about the Western Conference Finals and they're down fifteen, seventeen, seventeen. The last three games and all it takes is a five minute spurt and you know they're up five. I don't even think and, it was a five minute spurt. Yeah. It was like a I minute mean, it's and a quick. half. As soon as minutes, that yeah. second half, you know, as soon as they pick up steam, it's nothing really that uh, Portland was able to do. And I just look at the way Milwaukee is constructed and, you know, the struggles they're having against Toronto. I mean, you look at what Toronto is basically doing is it seems like a simple matchup zone. They're playing against Giannis. So Mm -hmm. pretty much make him see bodies when he, you know, puts the ball down in the paint and you're putting the pressure on those shooters to make shots. And they haven't been able to make shots the last three games. And I was just look at if something that simple – can work against, you know, best team in the league record-wise, then what's going to happen when you're going against a team that has been there five straight times now with all the experience in the world that doesn't get rattled at all? Milwaukee right now looks like a team that's getting rattled. If you go to, back to um, Toronto, the only person that's been there is Kawhi yeah. in the finals who knows what that pressure feels like. Can Is he the one singular talent? that would be able to, you know, disrupt what Golden State's done? I'm not sure, but, I mean, we were just talking about that uh, that last series he had in San Antonio where they were up by 20 and then, you know, one ankle injury pretty much in San Antonio was none. I mean, who knows? But I just don't see anybody beating Golden State four times. Yeah, their Golden State in that last series, they averaged for the entire series in that sweep over Portland 14 turnovers per game. Yeah, and the amazing thing, they were actually down more in that series than they led. Oh, they were down double digits. Yeah, yeah. by time-wise, Portland led more time-wise in the series than Golden State actually Mm -hmm. did. That was an amazing stat as well. We moved from this, and when we started to break down what most so-called experts and everybody on Twitter has been talking about, whether or not this team is better moving forward or just a better team without KD, it amazes me because I think it was pretty clear when you look at the management and how they looked at their team, they pretty much viewed that if they wanted to extend their dominance, they had to go get somebody that could withstand the force of LeBron James. LeBron James was something that even strength in numbers is what they live by. That's their motto, right, in Golden State? Strength in numbers could not stop the force of LeBron James. He was a problem. This is the one thing that I, that I have not heard that I believe was the greatest effect that Kevin Durant had or in Golden State. He gave longevity to the greatness of Steph Curry. I don't think Steph Curry holds up if he has to play the way he plays five straight years. I think we saw Steph starting to wear down a little bit in 2016. And then the next year, he got injured going into the playoffs. If Steph for five straight years had to be that guy scoring 35, 36 every night and going deep into June, I don't know if his body holds up. I don't know if he can carry that weight. For me, the biggest effect that KD had is he gave Steph Curry the ability to say, you know what, 
let me take my foot off the gas pedal a little bit, and I'm able to save myself. So now when KD goes down, he can hit that accelerator and go back to a place where he never had to go since KD has arrived. Yeah, I agree with that because, I mean, you saw it when they had, you know, when they had Harrison Barnes. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how Steph ended up not winning them finals MVPs because he didn't, you know, he didn't have any great series because by the time they got there, he was gassed and he was always looking for, you know what I'm saying, somebody to step up. You got other person to step up that wasn't Clay Thompson. You know what I'm saying? So Kevin Durant definitely took a lot of pressure off of uh, Steph just because he allowed him to kind of coast a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to exert a lot of energy. You know, Kevin Kevin Durant is seven feet tall. You know what I'm saying? He's the most unguardable player in the league. So if you got that as a teammate, you could chill a lot of nights. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you don't have to go hard a lot of nights. But that's always been, like, my knock on stuff and why I'm such a big fan of Dane. You know, even though, obviously, Golden State swept them. You know, Golden State had a better team. Dane had the separated ribs or whatever. And I'm making no excuses. But I always said that if, if – Steph had to carry the load that Damon had to carry with just one other person. I don't think he would be able to do it. I don't, you know, I don't think he's built like that. You know, and that and that team, even before they got Kevin Durant, was built in such a way where you know what I'm saying that Steph was allowed to shine, but those other pieces took a lot of the pressure off of him. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, definitely. I think I think KD took a lot of you know took a lot of pressure off of Steph. I think it you know it elongated. Steph in terms of career to where he doesn't have to exert as much energy, but, you know, that's all about the change in a couple of years. So, well, not even in a couple of years, in a few months. So, you know, we'll see how they regroup and, you know, what they do after that. Yeah, I mean, I agree totally with that point. I mean, just when you look at Steph's injury history, he has a lot of unfortunate. Yeah, as soon as he came into the league. Yeah, and a lot of, a lot of ankle injuries. And, you know, even, you know, during the course of this five-year run, we look at, you know, I think there was a series in Houston where he had like a sprained MCL. There was the series where uh, he was going into the playoffs, excuse me, after an ankle injury. And, you know, just I think KD's just that, like you said, it put them over the top. I mean, now you don't have to, now you don't have to, you know, be that one singular guy. Like defenses, there's nobody on Golden State that you can truly lock in on from an individual standpoint and say, we got to shut this guy down. We got to throw two bodies at him because you do that. I mean, like I said, that system is run beautifully. I mean, they get the most, like, out of, um, you know, out of traps. They get the most easiest buckets I've seen just because you pass it to Draymond and, like, the top of the key, and he makes the right reads every single time. I mean, and that, that ball movement, the backdoor cuts, everything is precise. Um, so, I mean, there's no argument for me on that. I think Katie definitely helped extend. I, I would say just the um, in term productiveness of him as well, because I mean, even with his prowess being, you know, what he does from a shooting standpoint, being able to run, cut effectively, all of that to not have to do that throughout the course of an um, 82 game season, and then. You know, in the playoffs where teams could be physical. Imagine the L.A. Clippers series without KD. Mm. And now you got Pat Beverly, mm. you know, hounding you for like 40, 40 minutes a night. And there's no stop with him. I mean, you know, those are one of those guys that you're going to get injured playing against just because you're not used to somebody being that physical with you. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting this summer. I still – a lot of people will say he's leaving. You know, it's already a foregone conclusion. I think – He's undecided, and I 
think, you know, walking away from this team is going to be hard for them because you look at the other situation. When you've had it this good, regardless of what's being said in the media, what's being said by, you know, whoever, like what does that matter at the end of the day when your goal is to win rings? Man, it's so funny. When he came up lame in that series against uh, Houston, I believe it was game five, Mm -hmm. everybody said that Golden State and their fans took a gasp, but they felt better because they still felt like they had a team outside of him. Mm -hmm. The business of the NBA took a gasp. Like he is – the, no, he's, he's he next. is the the linchpin. Yeah, he's next in the off season mm-hmm. for the NBA. Yep, that's going to drive the news, mm-hmm. every the buzz, everything. Mm-hmm. He's the first domino. He will impact where everybody else goes in free agency. If he tears his Achilles on that play, the NBA offices are probably going crazy. Yeah, it's it's bigger than Golden State. Where Kevin Durant decides to go will impact possibly Kyrie. That will possibly impact the Lakers and what they have to do. It might impact who makes a move to get AD. There are so many dominoes that can come from Kevin Durant. And him going into this offseason with a serious injury would have been catastrophic from the business side of the NBA. Well, how we know it's not, though? Exactly. We don't. They keep saying, they keep pushing it back. They said early in the series, he's ruled out for game one. Possibly Boogie would be back before him, and Boogie tore a quad. Mm-hmm. And we all said when we watched it, it looked like someone that had a torn Achilles on Achilles itch- issue, the way he looked back. But I will say this video showed that he did grab grab at the bottom at of the his bottom calf. calf. Yeah. So even if it's a calf tear, you know what I'm saying? If, if it's something more than obviously it's not a serious. It's not a it's serious. not a strain. Well, it's not a strain. They call it a mild strain. Know. Yeah. Look, it's something more serious than that. I'm just convinced of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't miss an entire series, and now you're threatening, you know, to miss the entire, like, the last series of the season, which is a, a strain. I'm not convinced. I think it's something more than that. But, you know, I do – well, I kind of partly agree that Kevin Durant is going to be the needle mover this summer, but I'm not really sure. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't think he is that guy that's going to – cause the NBA to shift like that. Not not yet, just because, you know, he still he still kinda hasn't hasn't lived off that, you know, that reputation of going to Golden State. You know, even though he you know, even though he has won a couple championships already, a couple finals MVP, that's still following him. So I don't you know, I don't know if he is seen as, you know, like like, like you said at the beginning of the show, you know, LeBron was the one that made everybody adjust what they was doing. I don't know if Kevin Durant is that player, not singularly. Now, if he's able to bring one or two other people with him, then, yeah, that changes everything. But I don't know if he is the domino that's going to you know, shift the landscape of the NBA. Not right now. C4, what do you think about that? Um, I mean, you look at just where he spent most of his career in OKC. I mean, I kind of agree with that, but I just look at who's going to drive the lead for the next you know, KD is 30. Who's going to drive the league for the next 10 years? I mean, I think he's definitely next because I can't see any other, like, I can't see who, who would be next. You mean, you'll have some people trying to, you know, drive Giannis as that? I don't think Giannis seeks that attention yet to be like that headliner guy. I think he's a league shifter, definitely. 
Yeah, uh, in in some ways, but he's not. You mean the whole league or just the Eastern Conference? No, nah, the whole league. Because he only, what, 23? That's a 24. 24. 24, yeah. But even 24? then, it's like Giannis is not, you know, a, a personality at this point in time. He's not a guy that's, I'm not going to say he's not media savvy. He's just not a guy who, you know, deals particularly I think he has potential, though. He, I mean, of course. I see, I see. Of course. He has a, a, he's so yeah. genuine. But you have to look at Giannis's background. This is a guy who, as a kid, was selling trinkets on the street, you know, to feed his family. That's why you know, I, I love what he said after the loss in, what, game yeah. four? Yeah, you look at what his values yeah. are and, you know, all the extra stuff that comes with, you know, being, you know, a millionaire and, you know, having all these commercials. I don't think that – Drives, drives necessarily. Yeah. I mean, which well, is good from a well, walking. Well, what I'm saying is he doesn't – I'm not talking about necessarily commercially. I'm talking about how the league adjusts what it is that they do. Because Kevin Durant is, what, 30, like we said, right? Giannis is 24. That's a lot of years, man. Like, you, like, like you're talking about the next decade. And mm-hmm. that's really – like, if you look at people in his class or that's around his age, he is far and away the best of all of them, and he is the one, like, you know, as the KDs get older, as the Kyries get older, you know what I'm saying, as the, as the Kawhi Leonard's get older, these guys have been around for a long time already. You know what I'm saying? So as they, you know, as they start to peak and go down, Giannis is going to be that guy because you can't look at anybody right now, like I said, at his age or in his class that's even close to where he is, and you can't look at anybody that's coming behind him that would even push him for that. So I think, you know, I mean, I think just logically he's the next person because the rest of these guys are old or they're older. Yeah, Kawhi's 28. Yeah. So uh, how KD's prime is probably, what, another three to four? Yeah. How old is he? 30. 30? 30? Yeah, he probably got another three. I'll give him four to five. Kawhi's just like five it, to six? Yeah, just what KD's getting. No, nah, Kawhi's probably about. Yeah, it might be less because four. of injuries. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about, yeah, KD's, I give his prime probably about four to five. I mean, Kawhi, I would give him about, I'll say seven. I mean, just off age. I seven mean, more prime years at 29? For Kawhi, 28. I think he's he just turned. Yeah, just turned In June. I mean, and if you keep yeah. sitting the guy for. Oh, yeah, he like, yeah, yeah. he like kind of right at the beginning. Yeah, of you keep ahead. keep sitting the guy, for, you know, for load management for the rest of his career. I look at that, too. Um, yeah. yeah, but. Yeah, I, I agree with a little bit of that. I'm just thinking, like, how the league markets a guy in Milwaukee, like in a small market team. Because if you look at, you know, just the past instances, the the market, like, how did they market KD? How did they market Russ? You know, I mean. Well, they don't. Yeah, I mean, so I'm just looking at, is Giannis, in terms of talent, game, everything, of course. But I'm just looking at. Most of the time, when you look at the guys that drive the league, these guys want—they want that spotlight. They own that spotlight. I don't think—I don't see Giannis. It would have to be thrust upon him because I don't think you know he's a guy that's seeking that. Yeah, and I totally agree well, with what BC is saying. And like we're looking forward, playing mm-hmm, in forward. the next ten years. Yeah, absolutely. But if we're just really talking about the roster changes and how things are going to happen going into next season. Mm-hmm. I think KD is that guy, that main domino to see where everything else unfolds. And it just would have been devastating if he had had. We still don't know. It looks more serious, and BC says he thinks it's more serious. But an Achilles tear would have been catastrophic. And I'll just leave it at that. Now, I want to pose this to you guys. No matter what happens with Kawhi, him staying in Toronto or leaving, 
did Masai Ujiri do the right thing? Was it worth it? Yeah. Even if he's empty mm-hmm. and left at the altar with Kawhi this summer in free agency, was the move worth yeah. it, and did he do the right thing? Yeah, because you, I mean, you back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. You know what I'm saying? Like, you get rid of DeMar DeRozan. Um, you get a better player, in my opinion, and, and, and Kawhi Leonard, and you don't miss a step. And you have, feeling-wise, a more realistic chance to make the NBA Finals than you did when you had DeMar DeRozan. So, I mean, even, you know, even if he does leave, which I don't think he will, but even if he does leave, if, I mean, on a one-year rental, you can't really beat that, especially when your point guard is like 34. Yeah, I mean, just like what you, I think when it happened initially, there was, you know, that feeling of, you know, DeMar feeling backstabbed, then you had the fan base having to deal with that. I mean, you fired, you know, coach of the year, um, Dwayne Casey, you know, a little bit after the season. So there was a little, there was so much uncertainty going in there and nobody, I still think Kawhi was just a little bit underrated just because I don't think enough people had seen him. And we kind of all looked at him as like a byproduct of San Antonio system. And, you know, in the playoffs, he's kind of shown his worth. So even if he does decide, you know, to leave um, this summer, which I think he does, um, I still think it was worth it just for what you were able to get out of him for that one season, what you were able to do for that fan base. I mean, you have a very good coach and Nick Nurse who's made, you know, some very good adjustments um in the playoffs so far. So I think I'm not sure. Do you think what, he leaves? Yeah, yeah. I I think he leaves. I just think he looks at if they win, does he leave? If he, if they if they beat Golden and State and get to the finals? No, if they get to the finals and actually beat Golden State. That that might that may be the only That's the only thing, way he stays. Yeah, that's the only thing I think that keeps So where saying. does he go? I mean, I think Kawhi's a different. We talk about what guys like who really who really wants it, and I'm not saying that he doesn't. But we got to look at. I look at like certain guys. Like, what do they want? You know, out of the game. Yeah. So I said, I don't know if necessarily he's sitting there thinking, "Oh, I can be a, I can build a powerhouse over here in Toronto." I don't think he doesn't come across you as that, that way. Guy, guy for me, I think he wants to be somewhere where he's comfortable. Like where the weather is good, I mean he's just like a he's a different type of guy. Now check this out. I want you guys to check out what Brian Windhorse had to say about Kawhi and free agency. Have you seen the Lakers roster at the moment? Yeah. I don't think <laughs> yeah. LeBron's in position to be too picky. He is been, from what I understand, he has already begun the recruiting process. Um, he is. I've heard he has had contact with Kawhi Leonard. I've heard he's had contact with Jimmy Butler. Uh, there's no tampering enforcement by players. And while Magic Johnson, the, uh, the guy who got in trouble for tampering before, is no longer there, LeBron is tamperer-in-chief of the Lakers right now. The thing about it is, is I don't know if, you know, texts and calls and maybe a dinner with LeBron is enough for the Lakers to overcome their hurdles that they're going to have. And so I just don't think the Lakers can be choosy. In fact, to be honest with you guys, I think the Lakers really have to look at the trade market. Uh, how willing were they be to move that number four pick? Would they be willing to make an offer for Bradley Beal? Would they be willing to make an offer for a guy like DeMar DeRozan, who possibly could be on the trade block, depending on whether the Spurs want to extend his contract? Um, would they be willing to wait uh, for Anthony Davis a year from now? These are the big decisions that the Lakers have. I really don't think they can honestly think that they're going to get Kawhi Kyrie or Kevin Durant, even if they have LeBron as their lead recruiter. All right, so there is Brian Windhorse right there saying that LeBron James has already been reaching out to Kawhi 
And reportedly, there were reports, Stephen A. even mentioned this, during the Philadelphia 76ers series, LeBron was in Philly trying to meet. It's never been confirmed that he actually met with Kawhi, mm-hmm. but he was in Philly. Man, ain't we tired of this story? <laughs> Man, look, let me, let me, this is, like, this I'm is, like, I'm like, I we am, still I talking am, about but the But I think Lakers. it goes right into what you were talking about, C4. It's like, it's, it shocks me because I'm like, Kawhi's not that, that dude. He just doesn't seem like, I don't think you can move him either way. He's not emotional right. like KD. There is no connection or forgiveness, I guess, storyline or narrative like Kyrie. Mm-hmm. You don't man, know if he I'm wants saying. to be his own man. You don't know if he wants to have his own team. But you know he just wants to be in a comfortable spot. Yeah. Man, for 10 years, I have been tired of every free agent being linked to want to play with LeBron James. <laughs> That's crazy. It's sickening, man. Like, it's disgusting. Like, come on. Like, nobody has gone to – let's be real. Nobody has gone to play with LeBron James, period. Nobody. Right? And the Lakers are such a mess. Nobody has gone to play there either. So now you got a situation where the Lakers can't get nobody, and that best player in LeBron James ain't never been able to get nobody. So why do we keep linking these people? Like, why do we think everybody want to go play for the Lakers? Why do we think everybody want to go play with LeBron James? You know, like you said, Kawhi Leonard is his own man. He's a superstar. Why is he going to go and play second fiddle to LeBron James? Nobody wants that. Like, when you get there, you automatically play second fiddle to LeBron. Even though LeBron is 35 years old, you're going to automatically be seen as a sidekick. Oh, nobody wants to deal with that. Who wants to deal with that? And, and Kawhi definitely don't. He got championships, finals MVP, his own sneaker deal, endorsement deals. He got everything LeBron got. So why you want to go there and play with him and be looked at as lesser or be looked at as a second option? I definitely don't think Kawhi wants to go anywhere that's like a big market. I think he's very good in small market situations where it's not a lot of pressure. So I, I don't see him going to like a LA or, or, or New York or something like that. I think he stays right where he is, right where he is. I think I think Toronto is like the perfect situation for him because it's a low key town. He's a low key dude. They love basketball. And I just think it's just a perfect relationship. And I think they've embraced him to the point where they have shown him that they want to keep him there. And I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, I, yeah, like you wouldn't be surprised way. if you yeah, stayed. If you're Kawhi and the first domino falls and it's KD, and based upon reports we've been hearing, BC talked about it on the very first episode of A2S, KD to New York, and Kyrie joins them in New York, and they add some other pieces around them, and you're Kawhi, and you see Giannis, and you see Philly, and you see those two in New York, does that impact your free agent decision? No, I don't think Kawhi Leonard cares about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you think yeah. about his, you think about his championship teams. Can you name one other person on those squads not named Tony Parker? On the championship squads? Yeah, he don't care about that man. He won with dudes like I mean, it's Tim Duncan, man, he won Ginobili. With, he won with journeyman. Ginobili was like forty. He was an older Manu. I agree. I'm just saying, like he's beat these dudes with lesser teams in terms of talent. He's beat them with lesser talent. So I don't think he really – I don't think Kawhi is one of them people that really cares what other teams are doing or what other players are doing. I think he believes in himself that much and, you know, to where it don't even really move him. Like, he don't – he's a different type of dude altogether. Like, I don't even think that dude even know what's going on in, around the league. Now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he just show up and go to work, and that's what he do. So I don't think he's going to be a paying attention to any of that. His uncle might, but right. I know he don't care. 
Yeah, that's the, I mean, he's just one of those guys that just goes out there and hoops. And that's why I said, even with the situation in Toronto with how good everything has worked his way out, I still just think that he's going by day by day. But I don't think any, like, he's looking long term and saying, you know, I can build this here in Toronto. I think, you know, he's one of those guys that might already know where he, where he wants to go. I mean, but he's just out there hooping. Yeah. You know, he's not going to give you any inkling about what his decision is. When his decision is made, it'll probably be very quiet. You know, but I, I don't know. I don't. I just look at the situation in Toronto, what they have. They have, you know, very, you know, good young core. But I still look at that situation. You got an older Gasol there. You got, you know, um, you still got Serge Ibaka, who's still – Productive, but you have speak on Kyle, it. Don't yeah. leave Kyle Lowry. Yeah, you got Kyle Lowry there, who'll be I think 30, 34. Man, and, why the type of dude that assigned with Sacramento, man? And everybody be like, "What?" Yeah, I mean, but still, <laughs> it wouldn't. It, it wouldn't really even surprise you though if you yeah, think about it. it. And it was yeah. still it makes Sacramento. And it's so amazing. I forgot until I heard the story last week. They've been out. They've been without OG all. Uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, he had appendix. Another yeah. young long guy that was improving, just like Siakam. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I could I could see him staying. I would prefer for him to stay personally. Mm-hmm. I like the rivalry that it could create between him and Giannis, and Embiid and the Philly squad would, for years to come. It would make the East great. We already know that people feel like the West. Yes. Is a pretty good league, even mm-hmm. though I would say the West was underwhelming to me from a playoff standpoint this year. The West playoffs were. Yeah, underwhelming. In my, that's just my opinion. Oh, yeah, okay. Just, you had a couple of good series. Mm-hmm. Just be honest. Before the, in the first round, before that, uh, okay, see, Denver well, series in the first round mm-hmm. with San Antonio, everything else was a flop to me. I don't know. I look at, you look at the Portland, the Portland OKC series. That was pretty good. I mean, it ended a certain way. Yeah. But I always felt like Portland was going to win that series. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I can kind of look at it like that. You know, yeah. the Golden State, the Golden nobody, State nobody saw uh, the Clippers taking no. winning two in the Oracle. No, like, nobody saw no that. No one saw that at all. But like so. you said, it goes back to Golden State with both of their opponents, I think, were just kind of bored. Yeah. I mean, I think the Rockets were really the one team where they was just like, you know, let's slap this team up. Right. You know, they've been talking. Yeah. Been talking all season long, and you know, then that happened. But yeah, I can kind of agree with Before that. Before we switch gears and go to the Lakers' dysfunction, one of the other things that's been talked about on Twitter that's irritated me, and I want you guys to touch on this. Everybody wants wants to talk about ball movement with Clay, Draymond, and Steph now, and when KD's on the court, there's so much ISO. I don't want to. Basketball was always simple to me, right? If you had a bigger guy being defended by a smaller guy, you throw it into him and you let him dominate, right? And people that used to say, well, Shaq didn't do anything but dunk, right? That's all he could do. It really wasn't a skill hooper. It's like, dude, the easiest path is the path you take. Like Steph and Clay have to run so much mm-hmm. just to get open and get good shots. And because they have range, it stretches the floor and gives them that ability. KD doesn't have to do all that running. He can literally come down the court, go one-on-one from the top of the key, kick, make a layup, hit a pull-up in the mid-range, or just pull up in your face from about 25, 26 feet. He can go to the elbow, post, watch you cut on the backside, and do whatever he has to do. He's improved himself to be a great defender and rim protector, far better than he was in OKC. 
why are people trying to come down on KD for being an ISO player when, look, if that's the easiest thing for him to do to conserve energy, why would he do anything else? Why does he need to come down that. off a pin down? Yeah, I mean, for uh, what? BC was going to, BC said. People don't it, understand basketball. Yeah, I mean, and I think we just were, there's so much media nowadays. You, we, we actually have segments on TV where we're trying to decode the conversation guys are having now between themselves. Right. Like people trying to like read, you know, hand gestures and, you know, what people are saying. It just makes no sense. So now you have all of this analysis, which is like unnecessary. We talk about, you know, James Harden. We talk all oh, ISO. It still, it takes a, like he's the best of the best at that. I mean, to average 36 in a season, to know this is the way he plays, this is his bread and butter, and every night there's a defense geared to stop that and for him to still be able to go out there and do that, I mean, he's elite at that. And just you look at KD, the guy is 7-1. Like, what way do you want – What you want him running off of screens? Like, we could talk about Ballman, but when you have a weapon like that, I mean, and he knows what his go-to is and nobody can stop that, why do anything else? The whole thing with all, all Shaq just does is dunk. No, Shaq ran the floor. Absolutely. Shaq yep. had a turnaround yep. over the left shoulder. Shaq hit you with that shoulder. He got his shoulder into your chest. Then he's going up for dunk. If you can't stop something, why, why would you want Shaq shooting like 15-foot pull And it's up crazy jumpers? because we're, we're starting to hear the voices about Giannis's performance. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to hear some of the same things. And I told somebody recently – let me tell you something. I heard the same thing about Shaq mm-hmm. when Hakeem got him. It's like when you face a guy that has more skill, yeah. they show you what you need to do to mm-hmm. improve. doesn't mean you don't have skill. We're seeing the same thing with Giannis going up against Kawhi. Okay, take this loss, mm-hmm. but you better believe if he's the great player, I think he is, when he comes back, oh, he's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like it's just like when Buddy Ryan tried to dish Michael Irvin talking about saying all you do is catch touchdowns. Like, what else you want him to do? You know what I'm saying? Like, the goal of the game is to catch touchdowns. So, you know, if 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 Kevin Durant, you know, if he scores in isolation 90% of the time, he's seven feet tall. So what? Like, what? Like, why does he need to run the floor like that? You know what I'm saying? When he's pulling pulling up over somebody, 90% of the time he don't even see him. He's looking straight at the rim. Mm-hmm. So, it's just it's it. You know, it's like Chris said, it's all this extra analysis. And, you know, what I think is funny is that it's a lot of the stuff that you've seen them talking about on TV now is stuff that we've been talking about forever. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like stuff like just people who've been around the game and can play the game who can naturally read into it. You know what I'm saying? Who can look at situations without people having to say anything and understand what's going on. Now you're trying to see that being brought to the forefront. But the problem is, like, you got people doing it still don't understand the game. Like, these dudes are just talking about analytics three, four years ago. Now you're talking about you trying to decode body language? Give me a break, man. Like, you don't know what you're doing. So it's just, it's a it's a lot of misinformation out there, and I think that's the problem that I've had for the past five or six years. It's like, you know, it's just so many voices, and, you know, you got people latching on a few personalities more than folks who actually know what they're talking about. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you got your favorite analyst, and so you only going to stick with him. So anything you say, anything he says is the gospel, and somebody who says anything different is wrong. So that's what we've seen, you know, throughout sports. And sports has become very tribal. 
And, you know, the bigger problem is that the people who actually know what they're talking about don't get the same shine as the people who don't. Yeah, I can kind of agree with that. I mean, if you look at the people who actually know what they're talking about, their voice, they, the, you know, those voices are starting to get lower, lower and lower. And, you know, all the nonsense and all the stuff that really has nothing really to do with the game, those voices are starting to get louder. And that creates, like, false narratives that, you know, a lot of that stuff now with the way with the kids that are coming up, a lot of that stuff disrupts locker rooms now, disrupts chemistries yeah. because a lot of these guys are so influenced by what they're reading on your social media, what they're hearing on TV. You know, a lot of these guys can't tune that stuff out, and a lot of that stuff ends up, you know, causing, you know, a fraction, you know, within the locker room. I mean, a perfect example, I think, of all of that is, you know, the Boston Celtics this year. There's no way when I look at what Toronto is doing against Milwaukee and how easy it seemed. Of course, you have Kawhi playing, you know, probably the best basketball of his career, but there's no way Boston, you know, shouldn't have been able to replicate that in some way, especially on the defensive end. I mean, and then to bow out the way they did, all the stuff they had to deal with in the media these seasons with, you know, that the friction between the guys who got them there last year and now trying to incorporate Kyrie and Gordon Hayward back. I mean, I see all that stuff is, all it does is just creates unwanted and unnecessary, like, um, you know, just friction in the locker room. So I don't know. It's I, I look at Twitter sometimes now and I look at the stuff people are, you know, trying to point attention to and it, it gets away from the actual action that's on the court, which should be what's important. Yeah, and you know what, and Chris can attest to this, and, you know, and I say this without necessarily trying to be arrogant, and I know when I'll be talking to people, people kind of take it that way, but, man, them dudes in them locker rooms, they only talk to certain people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, like, they talk to people that they know understand their language or that they know that they can relate to. And it's it's a very small window. And, you know, and we saw this with the Bulls. Like, when we was covering the Bulls heavy when they was, you know, when they was winning, not just those guys who knew us, but we can go into other locker rooms when, when different teams came and have the same conversations that we have with the guys that we cover every single day because we speak that language and because they trust us and because they know that we get it and they understand that we're from where they're from. So, when, you know, when I see guys who I know I've seen in the locker room stand around like flies on the wall trying to pick up something, and then these are your dudes that's coming around telling you that they got inside information, man, don't trust that because them people, these players, they only talk to certain people. And when it, now they talk to everybody, but it's like certain conversations that they'll have with certain people. And so, like, when I see some of these things that come out, I just shake my head because I'm like, yo, like, either you made this up or, you know, you only telling half the story or you heard something because I know you didn't get this from the horse's mouth. You know what I'm saying? And, I, and I, like I said, I, I just think that's a big problem that's been going on in basketball media for years. It's like, you know, the, the traffic is king, content is king. And so even if you could put something out there that might be partially true that to get people talking – cool they'll roll with it but that just that just that just takes a lot of integrity from it to me and so i that's the kind of stuff i don't like i don't participate in that i try to expose it whenever i can you're listening to according to sources with bcsd and c4 right here on a2s network welcome back we all know about the dysfunction 
Well, Magic Johnson, the last regular season game at Staples Center, he held court in the bowels of the Staples Center with Lakers media and informed them that he would be stepping down from his position as president of basketball operations. He did not inform LeBron James. He did not inform uh, uh, majority owner Jeannie Buss, who's over the business side as well of the Lakers. And um, Jeannie Buss is actually a true story. Jeannie Buss is the first person that Magic Johnson met after he was drafted. The story goes as she's told it and Magic has confirmed she pulled up. He pulled up to the bus mansion to finally meet Dr. Bus, and Dr. Bus asked Jeannie to open the door. And he came in and he spoke with Jeannie by himself, mm-hmm. I guess, in the sitting room for about five minutes where he informed Jeannie after his three-year contract was up, his desire was to go back and play for his hometown Detroit Pistons and to bring a championship back there. And Jeannie ran into the office as she tells the story and she says, Dad, He's going back to Detroit after his contract is up. And Mr. Buss told her as he looked her in the face, once he gets to the Great Western Forum and he sees all the stars and he experiences L.A., trust me, honey, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> and, magic and the sludge has- became plentiful. <laughs> <laughs> and Magic has become the icon, the iconic figure of the Los Angeles Lakers. I just want I'm not about I'm about to let you guys unload the clip. Okay, but before we do that, let's just listen to a little bit of what Magic Johnson had to say on first take. The straw that broke the camel's back was I wanted to fire Luke Walton and we had three meetings. I showed her the things he did well and things he didn't do well. And I said, listen, we got to get a better coach. I like him. He's great. Former Laker, the whole thing. So the first day, well, let's think about it. Second day, okay, you can fire him. Then the next day, no, we should try to work it out. So when we went back and forth like that, and then she brought Tim Harrison to the meeting, and Tim, he wanted to keep him because he was friends with Luke. Luke's a great guy, Mm -hmm. great guy. And so when I looked up and said, wait a minute, I only really answered to Jeannie Buss. Now I got Tim involved. And I said, it's time for me to go. When you allude to the backstabbing, was it Rob Palenka that you're talking about? Is it Rob Palenka and other people within the Lakers organization? Who exactly were you talking about? No, just Rob. You know, I was going to help elevate him to the president's position. And so when all this was coming back to me and guys calling me saying, you better watch out for him. And then what was crazy was when I took the job, you know how many agents called me and said, you got to watch out for him. And I said, "Eh, I got to give the guy a fair chance. You know, I can't listen to people. But he he was a hard worker, smart guy. But uh, now you have that position. So I'm good with that. Those were the words of one Irvin Magic Johnson on first take. Interesting. Most people would believe and would say that he unloaded the clip. In my honest opinion, I don't think he unloaded the clip. I actually think he could have done worse. But I just want to give you guys a little chronological background of the defunct dysfunction of the Los Angeles Lakers. They win their last championship. After they win their last championship, then they are ousted by the Dallas Mavericks. After that season, Phil Jackson is forced out by Jim Buss. Jim Buss, the brother of Jeannie Buss, was the vice president of basketball operations at the time. Jim Buss famously was also reportedly the reason that there was a rift 
between the locker room and management from 2006 all the way until the time when he was relieved of his duties because of the fact of his drafting of one Andrew Bynum, who Kobe didn't like. But that's a whole other path <laughs> I don't even want to go down. Okay? After they win their last title, halfway through the season in 2010, one Magic Johnson surrenders his minority holdings as an owner with the Los Angeles Lakers for a valued $38 million. Got that? 2010. In 2011, there's a coaching search. Everybody in the organization thought that Brian Shaw, who was on the staff with Phil Jackson, should have been the next coach. Jim Buss gave the job to Mike Brown. After Mike Brown, don't forget, don't forget, before Mike Brown, don't forget the Rudy Tomjanovich thing mm-hmm. where he quit midseason, and most people believe that he was asked to resign. But that's another story. I will give him credit because in the 2011-2012 season, Jim Buss had a trade for one Chris Paul on the table for Paul Gasol and Lamar Odom, and David Stern blocked the trade. That could have been the trade that turned everything around for one Jim Buss. David Stern blocked the trade. Of course, after that, we get the Mike D'Antoni Lakers, right? And then we get the supposed super team. Well, they go out and they get Steve Nash and they get Dwight Howard. That blows up in his, their face. Along with general manager Mitch Kupchak, right after that, they can no longer get any major free agents to even have a meeting with them. Forget signing them. They can't even get them to have a meeting with them. 2017, Jeannie Buss comes over and takes over the reins, kicks Jim Buss out of the organization. Jim Buss tried to form a coup and take over the Lakers, at which point in time, Jeannie kicks him off of the board of the governors. So even though he had been, lost his job as vice president of basketball operations, he still was on the board of governors, mm-hmm. as deemed by what? The will. Dr. Buss dies in 2013. So from 2013, even before Dr. Buss died, we, start, we saw the beginning of the downfall and the entrance of the dysfunction through one Jim Buss into that organization. Jeannie, who by the will indeed left by her dad, Dr. Jerry Buss, he never wanted her to even deal with the basketball side, which is why he gave basketball operations to Jim. Mm. And he had two younger sons that he knew would come up and undergird Jim in coming years. Matter of fact, one of them is the uh, vice president or the president over the G League team and runs that organization. Just giving you a background of this dysfunction. They asked Magic Johnson to come take a job as president of basketball operations two and a half years ago. He sits down with Jeannie. He told Jeannie what his time was that he could give. Jeannie says she was fine with it. The only condition is you have to take Rob Palenka as your GM. All right. At this point in time, we come to understand that her consultants, her personal consultants, are one, Linda Rambis, who is the wife of former Laker great that played and won championships with Magic Johnson, Kurt Rambis. Now, some people say, who was the power behind Rob Palenka? They want to say Kobe. They want to throw that into the fray. They want to talk about this as a Game of Thrones for possible ownership because there are rumors out there that the buses are looking to trade, and I mean, looking to sell in the next two to three years, and everybody's jockeying to try and buy that organization. With all of that said, 
any of you take issue with anything that Magic Johnson said on that first take? Man, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a weigh in and then I got to bounce. Everything Magic said, already, I said it from the beginning. I'm like, yo, like Rob Palenka is trying to stab the man in his back. He's angling for his job, you know, and he definitely, you know, Magic understood that. And then, you know, when you, when you find out how messy it was in terms of, you know, emails and things like that, you know, and all this other crazy stuff that was going on, then you kind of see. But for me, you know, for Magic to even say that, like it just it just goes to show you like how how trade he felt. You know what I'm saying? Like and not to mention the fact that they dumped Rob Blink on him. Like that wasn't even his choice. Just like they trying to, you know, force Jason Kidd onto somebody's staff. Like, you know, whatever. Like that's the type of stuff that's going on. So and Magic is his own man. He's his own businessman, he got his own bread, he got you know, behind Jimmy Buss, he's probably the second richest person in their organization. So you're definitely not gonna take take nothing from nobody that got less bread than you know, and, and, and is not even really a boss and you know, Rob Blinker's whole claim to fame is Kobe Bryant. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you don't you're not working with a whole lot, dude, and so you definitely not working with enough to try to stab me, Magic Johnson, in the back because Magic's whole Magic's whole role there was to get those guys to come in, was to rebuild that organization. That's how you got LeBron out there. And, you know, all these, you know, all these young guys that respect Magic, you know, that's OG, that's Big Herb, you know, that's Buck, whatever you want to call him. Like, he has a relationship and a rapport with these guys that, you know, that was going to help, you know, re, you know rebuild that organization. So for Rob Blake to basically have an ego trip like that, man, that, you know, I, I felt like Magic was definitely, you know, well within his right to say what he said, and then it just go to show you, you know, for Magic to even do that. Like, yo, like, come on, man, I'm, I'm Magic Johnson, Rob Blink, I can say what I want, and what you gonna do about it? So, I was, you know, I applaud Magic for doing that, because it's, you don't often see that, you know, a lot of times, you know, we see these organizations, that we, you know, and we see these things, you know, the stuff that's going behind the scenes is always kept quiet, and it's always hearing rumors, so for Magic to come out and put it on blast like that, on ESPN, on morning television, I thought that was great. Polinka looked like the dude that had just gotten dumped <laughs> and Cass asked him about it and he's like, man, old girl, she just texted me last night. <laughs> yeah, what did she text you last night, yeah. though? Don't just leave it like, oh, yeah, I just spoke to her. Like, I don't see what the problem is. Like, you know what the problem is. But I mean, I looked at it from Magic's standpoint, it was good to get, you know, his side of things. Even though, like, when he left, he gave, like, a 40-minute, like, impromptu press conference, but to go on first take and answer some of the tough questions. I think it helped his standpoint, but he also said, you know, he's still going to be actively involved with recruiting and sitting in the meetings. Like, dude, you can't. Did you wait a minute? Did you peep him talking to David Griffin though? No, no, because David Griffin, during the entire Anthony Davis trade saga, he was very open about his love for one Brandon Ingram. 
So he talked about the main piece he would want that he thought would be a superstar would be Brandon Ingram. He loves him. He believes in him. You saw Magic drop in there. Brandon Ingram is fully healthy. Came through with the surgery. No problem. Back moving back on the court. Letting David Griffin know, like, yeah, he's good. Man, what's going on with his health? His health is good. He dropped a couple of other gems when it came to recruiting who we thought should be in the room. He let the uh, free agents know this is who you need to talk to. You don't need to listen to anybody else. He killed two birds with one stone in that interview. He, he, he said what he needed to say to indict the people he needed to indict. But at the same time, I think he cleared the path for every. He took, he cleared out the wreckage from him stepping from away. From him stepping away. So everything yeah. can be rebuilt. Yeah, but even then, yeah. even then, while he did that, I think he cleared like his own path. Like this is why I did it. Oh you yeah, know, this it was, was selfish. Yeah, it sense. was. Yeah, I don't even think it was selfish because if you're Magic Johnson, I said this when he left. Like for a day to day role for him, like with all he has going on, and he has to answer to somebody or consult with somebody. Hey, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? He talked about wanting to fire Luke. Oh. And, and this other guy, like, being involved with it, like, yeah. it, Magic's not going to sit there yeah. and do that. But in terms and of – And then Rob Lincoln tried to throw shade, talking about they made up a, they made up a position for Magic. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Like, they made the position that you wanted? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, for real? Like, come on, man. That and it's so funny because – And what are they thinking? Because they, they really wanted – this is what I believe. They really wanted Rob – for whatever reason, to have that position, but they couldn't sell it for several reasons. They couldn't sell it. And Jeannie said, well, man, let me go get Magic to kind of be the overseer of this thing, and we can sell it. It's the same exact thing they tried to propose to Tyron Lue, and Frank Vogel ended up having to take with Jason Kidd. They really want to hire Jason Kidd, but with some of the issues off the court and within the organization that he had back in Milwaukee, they didn't think they could sell it at this point in time. It's like, dude, to who? The Lakers to whomever. Like, but they, that's their feeling. Like, Why they, are they even operating like that to where they want to make a move? If that's who you want to hire, hire it. Mm-hmm. That's and, what I'm saying. And set up like, the PR to take the hit. Yeah, you like, like, like you have no leverage for any PR, nothing. Your organization is a sham dating back to when your father died. Like everything No, before, but even before Dr. Buss passed away. But it was... It was a joke, you know what I'm saying? Like, but after Dr. Buzz, it became a complete joke. Yeah. And, like, you know what I'm saying? And the Rob Plinker thing, like, listen, dude, your only claim to fame can't be Kobe Bryant. That's the only reason why you there. Like, let's be honest. That's the only reason. Kobe Bryant is the only reason why you there. You wasn't even a good basketball player in Michigan, dude. Like, so what makes you <laughs> think, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you, was, you was the white boy that played with the 5-5. Five five. Come on, cut it out. And you know what the funniest thing was? You play to connect the dots. Now, if you've been watching Jalen Rose through this entire thing, he's been throwing shade at Magic. It's basically saying Magic ran because he knew he wasn't going to get any free agents this summer. And that whole Rob Palenka thing is much to do about nothing. Well, they wasn't going to get no free agents. That's, that, that may be the case. And then in this interview, if you remember C4NBC, Molly jumps in towards the end and says, you guys are focusing on all the, all the wrong things. I think this was after Magic left, and they brought the subject back around later in the show. And she reiterates what Jalen has been saying the whole time. Now connect the dots. Who's her husband? Jalen Rose. Who's uh, Jalen Rose's guy? 
that he played with in Michigan. Which one? Rob Palenka. Oh. It's like, dude, stop, stop trying to protect this dude. Mm-hmm. Stop trying to protect him. I'm, For some you, you reason, you really can't protect him just pro- because his reputation around the league. And it's been like that. To eight, yeah, it's so, been like that. Yeah, there is no everything that Magic said. You know, even when he talked about when he first took the position, and you know, he had people telling him, "Hey, watch out for that guy." Like all of that stuff. That's why I said, you know, he cannot be the one in the room after just saying that. You have a conflict of interest almost. It's yeah. like, you know, if he's really about the Laker brand, you know, then Rob. If depending on all the stuff he said, Rob Palenka should not still be in that position. So he should be gone. Yeah, it it makes the whole organization. If Jeannie is really your girl, yeah. if that's truly your sister, and Rob is coming to her saying things about you. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so Absol- absolutely. I don't know. That, that whole situation, like BC said, that whole organization looks bad right now. And if you're a free agent, do you, I don't care if LeBron is recruiting me, LeBron is there, what, three, three more years, tops. Like, do I really want to go spend, like, commit four years? And I don't know what's going on upstairs. Everything on the court takes care of itself, but... Like, I got to think about when LeBron is done playing, like, will I be able to get guys exactly. here with that going on? Like, yeah. it's the craziness with reporters that have been established reporters in LA and across this nation that have covered the NBA and covered the NBA, trying to throw shade at Magic Johnson and throwing shade at his integrity, basically calling him a lazy man. For a lot of reasons, for him, especially for him being a brother, I just wasn't rocking with that. At all. You're not about to throw that at him. Mm-hmm. Not the businessman that he, he is, not the work he put in on the court as a player. You're not about to try and put the moniker of him being a lazy man out there. Listen, you saw what Dwayne Wade said, and I'm, and, and I'm going to end it on this. I got to ride. Dwayne Wade said, look, if that's the kind of – if Magic is, is lazy like that, where do I sign up for? <laughs> like, straight up, man. Like, how do you even say – this ain't about Magic Johnson sitting in the office every day, man. Like, Magic Johnson is a boss. Like, he is not – first of all, he's a Laker for life. For him to even say that he's going to help the team continue to recruit after everything that he's been through mm-hmm. in that particular situation, he's a Laker for life. And he's a stand-up dude. You know what I'm saying? But to try to diminish his character because, you know, he didn't he didn't fit into a neat little box, like y'all going to treat Magic Johnson like he an employee – that's crazy. Like, that's the part of it that I didn't get. Yeah. Like, Magic Johnson is his own man. Like, he got his – he got a hundred businesses. A hundred. Like, and, and he, I'm probably – And he's still – he's still the same icon. Right. That's like, why he know, did what he did. That was nothing – he was not about to tarnish who he was in Laker Nation by doing what he did. Like, on part of the Dodgers, man. Like, come on, lazy? Because he's not sitting in the office every day. Like, what was he supposed to do? Rob Palenka didn't like the fact that he worked for Magic Johnson, that he had to report to Magic Johnson. That's what he didn't like. You know what I'm saying? Like, And so that's why he was angling for that job, because Magic was on the move. Like you said, it sounded like Magic was doing what he was doing. He's checking his traps. He got other stuff going on other than the Lakers. Rob, you do the work. You bring it to me, and then we'll sit down and we'll figure it out. And that's what the situation was. That's what Rob Palenka didn't like. Yeah, and, and once, Magic know, like figured, said, once Magic figured out he didn't have the power, or he had to Well, fight. he didn't have any. Well, that was the other thing, too. Magic really didn't have a. Like, LeVar Ball nailed it. Like, he yes, really he did. Was. Yes, he did. Yeah, he nailed it. Like, Magic didn't really have the power like that. But Magic had more influence to say so than Rob Link. You're listening to According to Sources. 
with BCSD and C4 right here on A2S Network. All right, before, before you get out here, give me one minute. Truth or trash? We got two topics, and then we're going to end it. We're going to talk about Clay Thompson, and we're going to talk about this proposed infighting between Chris Paul and James Harden. According to reports, during the Golden State and Houston series, in game two, the issue first came up when Chris Paul was initiating the offense. James Harden seemed to be disinterested. He was staying at half court, wouldn't be involved in the offense, allowing for the lane to be stopped for penetration for Chris Paul and other people on the offense. This happened in game two all the way up to game six, where they eventually lost without KD even being on the court. Chris Paul had one of his best games in game six. And then in the huddle in game six, it became an issue. They went back and forth about it. True for trash. James Harden was real messy and petty for this. I think it's trash. Not because they, I don't think he was messy or petty. It's just because James Paul, I'm sorry, James Harden and Chris Paul are not winners. I don't really care what's going on. Say <laughs> either one. <laughs> They're not winners. I don't really care. Like it's like one is trying to blame the other. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and we watched them both collectively. We watched them as individuals. Neither one of them have done anything. Nobody can say anything to me about Chris Paul or James Harden ever again. I don't want to hear. It. I don't care nothing about either one of them. Until they win and do something other than play great regular season basketball, I'm finished. I don't care. They don't, both trash to me. I don't think either one wins before they retire. That's just my personal opinion. Does Mike think- D'Antoni stay BC before we let you go? No, he out of there. You got to blow that up. The Man. whole thing. Chris Paul got to go. And I think he is gone. They're going to continue to build around James Harden, which I think is a mistake because, like I said, I don't think he has what I don't think he's a winner. I think he's – I think James Harden is out for James Harden. James Harden is out for the individual stats that he put, puts up, you know, the whack-ass Adidas shoes that he got and whatever else he got going on. I think that's what he's about. I don't think he's about winning. And just Chris Paul is just Chris Paul. Well, Tillman Fatiga said he's going to find a way to win with James Harden. Who? The Rockets owner. That's what he said. As long as you keep James Harden, you keep people coming to the game. You're not going to win nothing, though. I'm not convinced that you can win with James Harden. I've seen, I've just seen too much to make me even, like, I don't even, I, first of all, I don't like watching this game. And even when he came from Oklahoma, I got slandered because I was like, yo, like, he's not a superstar like that. Like, James Harden's not a person that people are going to come out in Chicago, whether to come see play basketball. He's not that kind of player. So, you know, and then, these failings in the first rounds and the second rounds and you know the fact that he froze up in the finals like I remember all of that so and you know so James Harden hasn't shown me anything different going back to when he was in OKC he was the third you know he's the third wheel so I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on him at all alright BC get back to it let us know how the high school talent is looking and talent I guess we'll be seeing in the NBA possibly in uh, what two three years and Boy, I seen some. Listen, I've never been in a room with so many kids that was six eleven, six ten, high school kids. You know what I'm saying? Like right. it's, it's ridiculous. And, and and I seen some stuff this weekend, man. It's 
like on the on on the pro side, like just where the game is right now. Like I've I've seen a lot of guys that can make that that'll potentially make some make some money in the NBA. So, but you know, you'll see it coming out for me. All right, BC, follow him right now at B underscore Crawl Four D. So, getting back to it, man, your thoughts. This this whole thing from like game two all the way to game six, the disinterest when Chris Paul is trying to initiate the offense. Chris Paul had his lowest usage rate, usage rate ever in a playoff. I think it was his lowest assist total as well mm-hmm. in a playoff. So the sacrifice he's made, even though his skills are deteriorating, yeah, he's getting older. I don't know. See, for I don't know what to make of this. You know, I I'm, I want to give James Harden the benefit of the doubt because of how great he is, but at the same time, knowing that they're going back and forth and knowing the age of Chris Paul and thinking like, man, they can't move him. No one is about to trade for him with that money on the books. So, what what moves do they have? Because I mean, the useless money they have right there at center and Clint Capella. Yeah. I don't know what compelled them to make that move. I mean, he's a byproduct of you know just. Uh Salary cap and, you know, just that system. Uh, I really don't make too much of, you know, the situation um, that has come out. I think it's um, frustration of losing. I think it's a combination of Chris Paul, you know, being Chris Paul when he's out there on the floor. I've I've seen him, you know, curse teammates out. I've seen him, you know, the same way I've seen him curse um, opposing players out. But, you know, this guy's a pit bull. And, but, and it also goes into system a little bit also because, you know, James Harden is not an off-the-ball player. I mean, they've basically placed the ball in his hands the last few years there, and it's literally him uh, creating. It's him dribbling. It's him setting up for himself, setting up for his teammates. And that's the way it's been. So now if you have a situation where Chris Paul is now going to dictate offense do you think James is going to go sit in the corner you think James is going to just hang around on the perimeter with his you know hands up wait waiting to uh, catch and shoot I haven't seen that at all I haven't seen too many I don't even think you know throughout this whole D'Antoni area I don't think I've ever seen a situation where you know James gets an easy bucket where you know he's you know coming off of you know the the weak side, you know, cutting to the basket, getting the layup, everything is generated by him. So right. now we have Chris Paul trying to dictate offense, and he's just he's essentially lost out there because you know there's he's used to having the ball in his hand ninety five percent of the times. He's just not an off the ball player. So I think a lot of that can also go into coaching as well. I mean, they pretty much is he being coached? No, in your opinion, no. See that I, I think he's that's an issue for me. Yeah, they've created. This system, I mean, it's this D'Antoni system is based around, like, you know, it's, it's fast-paced. And it's almost been – it's definitely not the Steve Nash type. You know, it's definitely something now that where it's more ISO now and you get all of your your shots, you know, off the screen and roll. I mean, but – and James, like, made that system look really good, except when it counts. And that's always been a knock on D'Antoni. I mean – you know, some something needs to change there. That's why I think you have D'Antoni coming out. He's going into the last year of his deal, and, you know, he puts it out there to Wolves that, hey, I'm re- reinvigorated, and, you know, I definitely want to make this thing right. And I think you look at that owner there, he made some strong statements after that 
that lost there in Houston, like he wants to win. And, you know, I don't think D'Antoni is the, I hate saying a, a guy just isn't a guy to, to get um, just that one system. I hate saying a guy is just not the one who's going to get them to where they need to go. But, I mean, you look at D'Antoni's track record, he has some rough things that happened in Phoenix with as far as injury, suspension, that derailed him from uh, winning the title with that system. But you look at this ISO-driven system now with James, I mean, even if you implemented, you know, some ball handling, some more motion, the fact that they sometimes have – a lineup with James and four shooters out there and you literally can't get points in a more creative way or you can't get the defense moving at all. Like that's that's why it doesn't work in the the playoffs because you literally allow the defense to rest all the time while one guy's watching James and you got three guys that basically can just chill and then you look at the Warriors offense, it's all motion. You're chasing Clay, you're chasing Steph. And not everybody has that personnel, but you know, you have Eric Gordon, you have a Gerald Green, you have PJ Tucker, you have guys that know how to play. So the fact that they're just literally sitting around on offense, just watching one guy and you're waiting for your table to be set by this one guy every single play, it makes you predictable. And I really don't agree too much with Scottie Pippen, but Scottie Pippen was on, uh, yeah. you know, that pregame show, and he told P.J. Tucker to his face, like, you're not going to win playing that way because it's predictable. And it is. I mean, it works for him in the regular season. And P.J. Yeah. probably knows. Yeah, but, you know, He's James gonna go is going to go down guy. with his guys. Yeah, but, I mean, they have to know two years of getting, especially after this year, you know, with Chris now, you know, becoming a year older. You know, James, of course, great year in the MVP conversation, but if your goal is to win it all, there's going to have to be like some sacrifice now. There's, you're going to have to do things a little bit differently going into next year. I mean, the main trait of insanity is thinking you're going to yeah. do the same thing and get a different result. So we'll see what happens next year. I really, I don't know what happens with that D'Antoni situation. I think they look real hard about seeing who else is out there if there's a big name out there that they can hire, but I don't know. I don't know if D'Antonio is going to get that, you know, three that three year extension or a four year extension. I think you might see something come out, you know, where they mutually agree to part ways, just because I don't think they give him too many more runs. I had to uh, call Bron, you know, and tell him like. You know, I apologize for being that young player that wanted to everything at his, you know, at his fingertips, and I wanted everything to uh, be at, you know, my threshold. I wanted to be the guy that led us to championship. I wanted to be the leader. I wanted to be all that, and you know, the responsibility of being the best player in the world and leading a team is something that's not meant for many people. And Brown was one of those guys that came to Cleveland and tried to really show show us what it's like to win a championship, and it was hard for him. And uh, sometimes getting the most out of the group. It's not the easy, easiest thing in the world. And um, like I said, only fewer are meant for it or chosen for it. And, you know, I feel like the best person to call was him. C4, a lover of great dieting and great diet. Mm-hmm. You work out religiously. You love great cuisine. I see your Instagram all the time, <laughs> right? I want to chat. I'm going to set something up for you. You let me know if this would kind of make you fall in love with L.A. I'm going to start you out with the... Uh, spicy tuna cone with green jalapeno and caviar and the Wagyu beef pot stickers. 
with black garlic ponzu. Then I'm going to bring you a nice chopped salad with garbanzo beans, mozzarella, salami, tomatoes, basil, pepperoni, zesty vinaigrette. Now for the entree, I'm going to hook you up right. Because I, I think I know where you would go with this. I'm going to get you the organic chicken pollard with lemon caper butter and wild arugula salad. Sides, let me look at you. I think you probably would like the crispy Brussels sprouts. And even though you're healthy, it's just something about us. We love the truffle mac and cheese. So I'm going to go ahead and throw the truffle mac and cheese there with you, right? Now, while we wait for them to cook, I think you're probably going to have, let's say, uh, the red dragon. It's Bacardi Dragonberry Rum, simple syrup, fresh lime juice, muddled strawberries, and fresh mint. Doesn't sound bad. And then once we finish everything, going to go ahead and have a very nice slice of double chocolate cake. That sound nice to you? Sounds Is that appealing? Nice. Sounds real nice. On a nice 80-degree night on sunset. Think you would like that? Sounds real nice. Well, this is probably what LeBron James and Kyrie Irving had as they held court and had a conversation out in L.A. They were seen at Hyde Sunset by oh, a lot of people. Hyde is beautiful. It's beautiful. You've oh, been there? God, yes. Tell me about it, C4. Yes. Set, set yeah, the man. scene for me. What, now, if they were sitting, what do you think they would be sitting in a restaurant? Uh, Not like what the regular folks sit. Well, no. I mean, if it, it depends on if the setup. The setup's probably different from the last time I went there. When I was there, there was a... Uh, now, how long ago was it? Man, a couple years ago. Okay. Probably about three. I think three. But when I was there, there was like this um, event with uh, the Wilhelmina Models. Nice. So, you know... It's it's beautiful. Eye candy. Yeah. Oh, ambiance. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. But if those two are there, you know, they're probably somewhere. See a little private room, mm -hmm. little dinner, a little chopping. Up. I mean, I think it's just two former teammates, you know, just chopping it up. Maybe the conversation. So, well, you know, what are your plans this summer? Now, do you think the main part of the conversation was, let's talk about us? Like, forget... I think it was a lot of it's like this is a clearing, conversation that clearing, needed to be had. Clearing the air, yeah. just about you know the way things went down in Cleveland, the way Kyrie felt about you know certain things and what he's learned in the two years being away from Brian. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure LeBron has to eat some humble pie now. Also, like realizing that, yeah, like yeah, I didn't realize what I had, you know, in this dude. I mean, when you look at terms of talent, like Kyrie has to be arguably the best player he's played alongside of. Do you think Kyrie plays the best basketball he can next to Bron? No, I think Kyrie's best is what he does, get buckets. And I think he played his best alongside LeBron because LeBron made it. He took away the responsibilities of needing to make everybody else happy mm. and being able to do what he does best, which is score. And people don't understand how natural that comes for most people. Yeah, I mean, you look like when at you look at a Giannis, mm -hmm. he makes it easier mm -hmm. for everybody else. Yeah, just naturally. Yeah, just the way he plays, he wants to do it. He plays wants to force. accept. Yeah. He plays with force, just like LeBron does. Mm -hmm. As great as Kyrie is, he doesn't have that force right. in his game to be able to make things easier for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Can he get assists? Absolutely. Yeah. But does the game become easier for his teammates just because he's on the court? I don't know if we could say that yeah, at that level. Exactly. At the same level.
Yeah, that's arguable. So I think. So oh. back to Meg. High sunset. I'll be out there like June 2nd through the 5th on a campus visit with my daughter. Like, oh, nice. Let me go. Yeah. Let, like, what should I expect? Definitely get out there, man. It's just, man, LA is, especially that area, is just beautiful. I mean, especially in the evening time, you know, you got the water blowing off the, the wind blowing off the ocean. It's, man, it's nothing like it. So Kyrie is seeing this like, yo, man, I, okay, I hear you. Yeah, it's, it's enough to give them pause to consider. You know, enough someday. enough for them to get consideration. Well, yeah, I'm, and I'm pretty sure that, you know, they're both at the, you know, Kyrie's at the point of his career now where he, he's not going to be mesmerized, really, by anything LeBron has to say, you know, being a former teammate. So now I think it's real talk. You know, they had that conversation throughout the season, but I think this was a face-to-face Let's catch up. Let's, you know. And I say that because I might be wrong. Mm -hmm. In the offseason, Kyrie's never been that L.A., Miami dude like most NBA players. Like, we would catch Kyrie, like, up in New Jersey. I think he played. He was some. um, I think Miami, I think, is a spot that he, like, goes to in the offseason. I'm not sure where. Like in terms of guys that you know have that LA connection in the offseason. season, right? He doesn't have that. that, Yeah, if he's based in LA during the offseason. you know, Pennant, he's gonna be in LA, Mm -hmm. yeah, hooping at UCLA, yeah, like everybody else. You know, he's a traveler, Mm -hmm. so you might see him in Europe, yeah, you might see him somewhere else in in London or Paris or yeah, Curry's another different. He's a different different, dude, right? You might see him in Venice. But you just can't pin him down like, man, he's a dude that goes to L.A. Like, Derek, he's going to L.A., Mm -hmm. right? We know that. Carmelo, L.A. Bron, L.A. Mm -hmm. Harden, Westbrook, I mean, they're from L.A., Mm -hmm. so they're just going back home. Kyrie's never been that guy. So for me, for him to – I don't want to – this is true for trash. Is there any smoke here to say – he's thinking about the Lakers. That's the truth of trash we're going for. But before we even get to that, mm-hmm. I don't want to jump out there like everybody else is jumping out on this ledge. Like, man, Bron is recruiting them and this, that, and that. Look, they know each other. Yeah. He knows Bron wants to play with him mm-hmm. and vice versa. Like, that conversation is what it is. I just really think this is like, yo, I appreciate you. I want you to know. I want you to hear from me. Yeah. Like, what I went through, what you went through, let's sit down, let's talk about it, let's make sure we're good, and moving forward, we're going to be boys. Mm -hmm. But I need the weirdos to stop because, you know, L.A. Radio, they've been talking about, man, Brian could still be a father. Keep throwing his father figure. Yeah, that's another thing that... stop. I mean, even the big... Brian needs to call the station like, yo. That big brother stuff, that needs to stop. Stop it, man. Because at... I mean, these are grown men. I mean, so we talk about guys being father figures. I remember there was an interview where somebody asked asked him in Cleveland where Brian like, is he a father figure? And you? it was just weird. It was he awkward. felt weird. Yeah, yeah. he was just like, yeah. no, I have, I have a father. Yeah. Like, yeah. So a lot. Of, I hate when I hear that big brother thing. And I mean, you could be his vet, but even then, like, I mean, Kyrie's accomplished, you know, 
a lot of stuff individually. Mm-hmm. I mean, collectively with LeBron. But, you know, that whole thing about uh, he needs to be mentored and things like that, I, Kyrie's at the point of his career where he doesn't – he is who he is. He's one of the best players in the game. Yeah. So, you know, that being mentored or that being, you know, I'm going to put him on my shoulder, like that stuff, like, no, I mean, I just think, like, as I said, I think it was a meeting to just – you know, if I think it was just a just a casual dinner. I mean, you know, it was a dinner. Like they probably, you know, cleared the air if this was their first like face to face where they've gotten a chance to be away from basketball, catch up, yo, how how's the fam, Kyrie, how's your daughter? Things like that. And, you know, if the conversation about I think basketball was probably five percent of their conversation. I think it was more so just catching up, hey, I see what you went through. Hey, we had good times together. Like it is what it is. I think Kyrie's not at the. Kyrie doesn't need to be recruited at all. I mean, if he seriously wants to consider yeah. L.A., then he'll give L.A. some consideration. I don't think LeBron can do anything to sway him one way or the other. True for trash for you. Uh, trash. It's, it's trash. Yeah. That this is much yeah. much to do about yeah, it's nothing. Just two guys having just two guys. Yeah. It, it's a great storyline. Yeah. I mean, you know, but people got to realize these guys, most of these guys know each other. They have relationships outside of the game. So it's literally two former teammates, two guys who've won a title together, catching up with one another. And it gives us, you know, fodder to talk about. Hey, I'm going to read you three more because, you know, I, I already gave you the Red Dragon. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you three more drinks. Gave you that drink. I want you to choose between these four. Mm-hmm. All right? The Red Dragon. Bacardi Dragonberry Rum, Simple Syrup, Fresh Lime Juice, Muddled Strawberries, Fresh Mint. Now, I want to give you the Hornets Ankles. Okay? The Hornets Ankles. Casamigos Blanco Tequila. I've never even heard of that brand. I've never heard of it. Casamigos Blanco Tequila, Fresh Lime Juice, House Blended Honey Syrup. I'm going to give you the black card. I just like the way it sounds. Johnny Walker Black, freshly squeezed lemon juice, honey syrup, and house-made ginger syrup. That's for the dark liquor cats. Yeah, that, and the, sip, the true sippers. Yeah, that's more the true sippers. Alley. Yeah, more of those ones where you're sitting back. You could even have a stogie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went in the other direction. Yeah. I had the fruity things with the first two. Yeah. I was like, let me go in the other direction. Let me choose because they, they have uh, 12 good ones here. So I just want to choose four for you to choose from. Yeah, the black card. The black card probably. That black card is you? Yeah. I don't even have to go any further, yeah, do I? No, I wouldn't have to, you know, I would have to change up, see what else is on the menu. That chicken palliard sounds a little bit light to be having with the black card. So I definitely got to So the get chicken, us. oh, you're talking about what I gave you for dinner. Yeah, yeah, I might have to take Oh, so you're thinking maybe more is. like a little, oh, you want the steak with yeah. the. See, I knew you were healthy. So I didn't uh, go red meat. Yeah, when you're drinking. But, but when you're no, drinking, you yeah. need the red meat. Okay, so for, for the entree. Yeah, man, you got to. Man. You definitely have to check uh, that yeah, place I'm gonna have out. To check. I'm going to have there. to make a resi. Yeah, especially, you know, in the evening as, as the sun is setting. Yeah. Man, the ambiance in there. I went there. It was. I'm, I'm looking at the gallery right now, bro. Yeah. I went there. It was late. It was late. That's probably the best time to go. Yeah, but I would say the best time to go is right right when the sun is setting. I think, oh, yeah, man. That's probably def- a beautiful Yeah, you definitely want to make scene. reservations to go there. But it's, man, that's a nice, nice setting. I'm pretty sure they had a private room. Just talk, good food. 
That's how we set the scene, man. We had to give it to the lifestyle guy for GQ, Chris Case and C4 Dunk. Man, check him out. He's talking about the diets of all the athletes in each and every major sport. Go check him out on GQ. Superior writer. Getting all the things. He's been working really hard on the NBA draft, talking to a lot of prospects. You'll be seeing that work coming up soon. We get it done, man, with three guys that know the game. We're from the game. and We're about the game. When we come back, Lucky number seven, unfortunately, number seven wasn't lucky for the Chicago Bulls, A2S. You're listening to According to Sources with BC, SD, and C4. Right here on A2S Network. The eighth pick will be made by the Atlanta Hawks. That means that New Orleans has moved up. We have chaos here, people. <laughs> Absolute chaos. <laughs> Dave, you're supposed to look more excited, David Griffin. The seventh pick belongs to the Chicago Bulls. Wow. <laughs> so we know where Chicago will be drafting now. you heard right there was the call and the gasp in the room from the Chicago media and Chicago fans anybody connected to the Chicago Bulls when we all found out at the draft lottery that the Bulls would be selecting seventh in the upcoming NBA draft um where were you at C4 uh I was actually playing um playing ball we got like a little Tuesday open run session mm-hmm. there I really didn't have too much stock into it because like I said I wasn't really counting in my head I kind of had a, um, it it went a little bit how I thought it would go but you know I didn't think New Orleans would get number one but I mean I'm not gonna pay too much stock into you cool with the new system uh, and how it worked yeah out? Yeah. Kind of uh, add a little chaos on yeah, the lottery night. I mean, but it pretty much does what it's supposed to do. I don't think any team should, you know, of course, if you're going young, you know, you're going young. But at the end of the day, each organization, we're talking 30 teams, you have to put a product on the floor that's not only respectable, but, you know, also is respectable of the fan base. You know, because, I mean, I'm looking at Cleveland. I'm looking at New York. I'm looking at, you know, these teams that are openly tanking. And at the end of the day, they're still fans purchasing tickets to watch this product on the floor. Like, no, I don't think any fan base should be going to, you know, whether small market, big market. They shouldn't be have to attend games just to see a visiting player at all. So I think it does what it's supposed to do because now – you know, if you're if you're bad or you're on the verge of, you know, kind of being semi-good, you still have an equal shot of getting like a game, um, you know, organization changing talent. So, I mean, looking at what New Orleans been through, a lot of people will say it's rigged or something or you know, the ping pong ball. I mean, they do, they have a system where they like rule all of that stuff out. So I actually like it. I mean, it just puts the focus each organization should be about, you know, trying to put the best product out there on the floor and, you know, compete at the highest level, you know, so I have no problem with it. I mean, it sucks for some 
certain fan bases who, you know, build their hopes up, but that's sports. I mean, you put your all your all your emotional investment into situation doesn't work out for you, but you know, life continues to go on. So hopefully, you know, you put the onus now on front management front management of your organization now to make you know wise decision do all that homework and get the best talent you know with the pick that they have at what point in the season because i understand what the nba is attempting to do and we'll get to the bulls in a second Mm -hmm. they're trying to prevent teams from tanking from the jump like just going into a season with the plan we're tanking for said player Mm -hmm. You get to the all-star break. And you've tried to compete with your young kids. You got the young kid, you know, that's your best player. He's hitting the wall, dealing with some nagging injuries. You're like, look, sit him. I mean, does that fall into tanking? Is, you know, the Bulls. Not this previous season, but going back to the 2017-18 season. Mm-hmm where they start off with injuries. They had the Bobby Portis fight and discord, and they Mm -hmm. didn't open the season well at all. Then they get into late December, early January. They hit their stride. The young players are playing really good. They're looking good. And then they come back down to earth. Mm -hmm. And by that time, they've kind of played themselves out of contention for a top three pick. Yeah. You know, in a – very what it looks like to be a very deep rookie class and mm-hmm. they ended up with Wendell Carter mm-hmm. uh, which was looks like before he got injured yeah a very good player mm-hmm. on a good team but at what point is the NBA doing a little bit too much trying to dictate to these organizations and these teams how to run their business and how to set up the organization for the future yeah. I mean, you have that's your job, whether you're the GM, the president of basketball operations, to look forward and make difficult decisions to give your team the best future yeah. that you can set them up to have. And I'm all for eliminating tanking from the jump. But at the same time, when you have injuries and certain things happen, it's like without a doubt. David Robinson went down. Yeah. Pop tanked. Yeah. Tim Duncan. It's like, you know what? I wasn't going to tank. We got David Robinson. MVP. But hey, I'm looking at my organization. The best thing for me to do in this situation is to, and look what it turned into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was. It was the core of the rise of the San Antonio Mm -hmm. Spurs in the NBA. So when you have situations like that, I don't mind it. Yeah. Like the way the Bulls handled this handle things this year. I think the Bulls tried to compete. And then at a certain point, they just said, you know what? Let's just try to put ourselves in the mm-hmm. best position. And they pulled the reins on the horse. Yeah. Last two last two seasons, to be honest. Yeah. So yeah. when teams are doing it that way, I'm totally fine. I think the Knicks from the jump came into the oh, season yeah. like, yo, we're tanking. Yeah. We're tanking. We're clearing the books so we can get two big free agents. And that type of re- rebuild when you have a brand new front office coming in, a brand new coach, that's what I'm saying. I, I really can't blame them for yeah, taking that a lot approach. Of stuff, yeah, situation. You know what I'm too. saying? So yeah, it's not it's, Philadelphia it's, it's, at, all, at all, man. Yeah. 
It's definitely not Philadelphia. Yeah. But when you have teams like that trying to set themselves up for the future, well, is it fair? Is it unfair? And, and you know, when you have the discord, and Phoenix might be worse than L.A., but the fact that Monty Williams chose that job Wait, over L.A. A says a lot. Yeah, and the stories that have come out about Sarver and how he's running things. For Monty Williams to still take that job. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, he had a relationship years. with the front office yeah. with James Jones. And also, a lot of people five that, year deal. So, yeah. As opposed yeah. to the yeah. three. We the don't Lakers want to talk role. to that three and five. Yeah. It's just, I could really go deep into that, but we need to say that for like the uh, A2S lifestyle <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Chicago Bulls. What are we going to do? Uh, nothing. I mean, you draft the. I think you look at all options. I think the obvious. Are need, you on this Cam Reddish train, man? Um, he, he he came. People that saw him, yeah, at the combine, came back and were like, you know what? The kid, he looks the part. He gives you the um, because I remember when, and I hate to make comparisons, but you know when Paul George was coming out of Fresno, and you know not too many people knew who he was, but. I remember, like, just around, like, the combine when, you know, there's a couple agents and people that were there telling me to, like, hey, this kid is going to be really nice. And then, you know, I looked at, you know, some tape for him, and I remember just talking to guys like, man, I really hope this guy falls to, you know, the Bulls because I really think just with his length and everything he played in a week of conference, of course, being at Fresno, but I was like, man, this guy looks like he's going to be really, like a really good piece here, you know, and could be somebody next to Derek that could develop. Of course, Pacers took him early, but Cam is intriguing, you know, 6'8", long wingspan, can shoot smoothly. Of course, at times, he was essentially the odd man out there in Duke because all he was, all, all that he was there was a shooter there, and I think that kind of limited us seeing all that he could do because, you know, he pretty much had to take play third to Zion and RJ. And I don't think anybody, I knew Zion would be good. I didn't expect Zion to be what he became. I thought RJ would run that show. And well, RJ, from the time they were prep stars, it was the 15 and under, 16 and under, when he was coming up in mm-hmm. the Canada system. And... Zion think he got to the USA system maybe a year after uh, the buzz was there, but I guess the level of competition is what we all questioned. Yeah. We saw the YouTube clips. And I just looked at who would have the ball in their hand, and I just naturally assumed it was RJ, but, I mean, of course, Zion's just, there was nothing like him. And he plays, we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. He plays the game with force. Yeah. And when you have a player, this is why originally I was like, man, I could actually see in the middle of the season, I was saying I could see someone possibly wanting RJ first, mm-hmm. projecting RJ to be better in their system mm-hmm. and the way the game is going with him being a ball handler. If you can simulate forward and say he can be like James Harden in four to five years, yeah. okay, I can see that. But there's nothing you can do to replace the force yeah. that Zion plays with mm-hmm. and how it impacts a game. Yeah. And that's what shocked me. Yeah. Like, going up against the competition he was going up against, I didn't, he didn't have to exert that much force. So it really looked like the things he was doing was just, like, effortless. And, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a guy but, who has, at that size, that talent to play at with that type of motor yeah. is rare because you have a guy that athletic, 
and you know that quick normally you'll see like where they relax at certain point in times they'll take a couple plays off like this guy goes after it like majority of the time he has like that Westbrook KG type motor where they just exert so much energy and yeah. it wears it wears a team out because you constantly have to be no, I don't think there's too many players in the game to where you have to account for, like, is this guy, you know, cutting back doors? Is he behind me? Yeah. I don't want to get, yeah. you know, I don't want to get tip dunked on. Right. Like, that guy's on the floor. You have to, like, know where he is. Keep your body in between exactly. him and the bucket. Yeah, because there's not too many players like that in the game today. I need him to talk trash. Nah, I mean, I didn't talk trash, man. He's a southern kid, man. Like, he's that dude. He's a Don't be kid. so hospitable. Yeah, he's a southern kid. You know what I'm saying? Man. Oh, what's he look? He played on the same AAU team. As John. Ja. Yeah. Ja's gonna. But wolf. you got to look at. I can look at Ja saying, I think he's gonna wolf in. Uh, well, of course, but Ja's ja story is different. I mean, oh, gotta, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. underrated kid. Yeah, so yeah. he's probably the chip like, on his shoulder. Exactly. Definitely yeah. bigger. Yeah. Zion pretty much like, hey, y'all I've been what, that dude. Mm-hmm, y'all know what I can do now. Right. So Jai's a little bit feeling under. He has that Westbrook chip. Oh, that'll be a dope story. Just the, the different journeys of those two kids mm-hmm. from being on that same AAU team up until draft night. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm sure ESPN will probably they're gonna do something, do something yeah. with it. But that's just crazy for you if you're the Bulls in this situation. Frank Izola recently was on ESPN Radio. I want to let you hear Love this. Frank. Frank Izola. He said the Bulls should think about doing this. So Frank Izola thinks the Bulls should go ahead and package the young talent they have and do what uh, Masai Ujiri did and say, yo, Anthony Davis, come here. We're going to show you. We want you. We're going to bring you home. We're going to treat you right. And we're going to establish the future. That's what Frank Izola thinks the Bulls should do. That's, that's far-fetched, in my opinion. We kind of talked about it yeah. on episode five when they were in the midst of all the trade rumors. I don't think Garpax has no, because that's the that's, gonads I'm, to make a move like that. But. Yeah, I'll say that too. Because, yeah. you know, now that's, you know, I think right now they're still in that kind of cruise control. We mm-hmm. still got, you know, some time to buy it. You make that move, yeah. and now you're putting, you know, you're putting a time clock you know, on yourself because of I that. I feel like we're in, like, 2008, nine. where, you, okay, you you got Ben, you got Luau, you got Kurt, you got Nochione. You, okay, just enough to make it to the first round mm-hmm. and give Washington a, a run for that money and a great series. It's like... Okay, now let's just wait for our Derek to fall in our mm-hmm. lap. You know, like we have a bunch of young talent. Now let's just wait for our Derek to fall in our lap. <sighs> I don't know which is so amazing. What upsets me the most is that we were sold once they moved Jimmy. We're preparing for the summer of 2019. Kind of crazy how that's it's, been it's, swept that's under the rug. It's been, no one's talked Nobody about it. Nobody said that. Yeah. No one's talked about it. And it's like, you did that. No, this was they. I think they. Matter of fact, that was put out before they even moved Jimmy. Like they, they got right rid of Derek. The time, yeah. They got rid of Joe. Mm-hmm. They had Jimmy. We're moving forward. We're preparing for 2019 mm-hmm. with Jimmy. Then they do the D Wade thing, mm-hmm. and then they do the Rondo thing, and everybody was like, "Hold on, like what are you doing?" This goes against the plan. It goes against the plan, right? Then they were like, "Oh, we can still do it." 
you know, the way the deals are structured. All right, cool. Then you start to get the feel again. Okay, we're tanking in the middle of last season. We're trying to get in the best position to get a really good draft pick. Clear the books. We have some salaries coming off the book. Then we go get Otto Porter. And it's like, what are you, what are you, what, for what? Like, we need some veterans with our youngsters. Okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But why him? <laughs> why that salary? With all of the free agency, it's just, it's frustrating. Like, what are we doing? You sit up here and you say, well, we have great relationships with the agents. And that's the con- first contact you have with players. That's what they believe now. Right? But if that's the case, why aren't you a willing participant in this free agency? Like, you got a sweet bit of water coming out the same mouth. It's like, on one hand, you're telling us, like, we're not going to go ahead and play for the big free agents. We're just going to, you know, believe in our youngsters and sign Boylan to a new contract and let him develop our young players and possibly pick up another good young player at seven. We picked up Wendell Carter at seven last year, so it should work out for us and bring some veterans in and let them show our young players how to play and how to be a professional and all of this. The plan was to be ready for free agency because you have great relationships with their agents and therefore great relationships with the players, but you're backing out. But you tell us you don't see a problem with free agents coming to Chicago. That's what you tell us every time you get in front of the media. I felt that night I felt bad because like you, I didn't think they would get into the top three. Mm -hmm. And that night, I felt bad for Bulls fans, young Bulls fans. See, before I say this all the time, I, I got my six. I'm good. I was in high school, bro. I was in high school when I experienced MJ. I have my six. I saw Derek. I'm straight. I'm good. As a Bulls fan, I'm satisfied. I don't need anything else to happen. Nothing. Anything else will be icing. With the cherry on top. It's extra. But it's this young Bulls fan base that really didn't experience that. They were too young to really know what was going on. I I have no hope for them, bro. There's nothing, and you're around the team more than I am. What is it? Like, do you, what's the sense you get from these young guys? Um, When it comes to, when it comes to boiling. Like, we've seen boiling. Get the contract extension. Mm-hmm. How does that play? I mean, reportedly, when he first took over, some people use the word mutiny. Yeah. What are these young players? What does Zach Levine, what does he think about this when he sees this? What does Laurie think about this when he sees this? When it, what does a kid named Wendell Carter think about this who was very vocal about the lack of leadership on the team? Mm-hmm. As a rookie. Yeah, it's crazy. As a rookie. Yeah. A 19-year-old being vocal. Like, we need some leadership. We need to play hard. We need to work hard. You can't, man, look. If I'm a player and I see them sign this dude, we, they don't want to win. I'm just telling you how I would feel. They don't want to win. I would question whether or not they really believe in us. Like, man, do they, are they, they're sending us out to this battle with him? I, well, to be uh, fair to Boylan, I think the way, I think his initial thing when he first got the job was, I have to put my imprint on immediately. And that totally clashed with who the players knew him as 
and what they were used to in Hoiberg. So you go from okay. So what, he was the snitch with Ho- with Hoiberg. Uh, I'm not he was the good. He was the good cop. I, I would say cop? yeah. He was almost like one of the the player confidants. Mm. You know, one of these one of the guys that you know they just knew him as a good guy. You look at uh, Jabari. That, that changes. Jabari though. spoke about it. That changes you know. though. And not necessarily like a confidant. He was but just somebody a, he was approachable. Yeah. In the midst of how everything is set up, how mm-hmm. they like things to be set up, he's a guy that's approachable when you need to get something off your chest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but now, you know, when you go from, you know, working guys out, yeah. you know, you're cool with them, you're saying all the stuff they need to hear to get them ready, and now they're running suicides, they're doing push-ups. He's a grown man. He's a millionaire. Right. I don't know too many millionaires, no matter what the job details is. They're running suicides at this stage. They're doing push-ups. Yeah, so I think just the way he started, if he could, I'm pretty sure he would take that back. But I think towards the way he wrote for him, the way how he accepted accountability for a lot of things towards, um, you know, getting towards the end of the season, I think the players grew to respect him a lot more and they actually because the first two three weeks they weren't playing for him at all it was just out there and then i think it came some time where they saw how hard he was riding for them with the refs and some of the comments he was making you know in the media they're like all right this dude has our back they didn't really get that from fred just because and not saying no knock against fred but fred's a more laid back yeah you know, chill guy. Jim is more fiery. So I think they just looked at the extension as, all right, you know, it was. I think it was kind of always going to happen, but they just looked at it like, all right, you know, he kind of earned that extension. This is our coach going forward for the next, what, three years. But I'm, I don't know, because if you're on the outside looking in this organization, you can view that like, man, you guys didn't. You have Monty Williams out there. Yeah. You have... You know, Ty Lue definitely wasn't on the radar, but you have all these high-profile coaches. You know, Juwan Howard couldn't get an interview here. And it's like, you guys didn't even interview him? But, I mean, it kind of goes to, you know, the Bulls. I think they had a trust with him. He's been there for a couple years. So bringing somebody, you know, new in, you know, kind of clashes with, you know, how they go about business. And that's been exemplified for the last, I think, 20, 22 years. They pretty much, you know, keep their own around, yeah. which is the reason why when people are calling for fire guard packs, Reinsdorf likes that continuity of having, you know, the guys that he knows. Bulls young talent or Lakers young talent? It's going to be a lot of people kill me for this. I still go Bulls young talent over the Lakers young talent just because... I know how much I'm not around the Lakers guys, but I know how bad Zach wants to be great. You know, I know I'm still not sure what Laurie becomes in the next three years, but I do think he has he has all star potential. I don't think he'll he's the face of the franchise like he's kind of being pushed towards to be. I think Zach wants that. So that's gonna be an interesting dynamic. Let me ask going you a forward. question. And it's something that came up on the podcast I asked you guys before the season. How important is Mike Budenholzer going to be to opening and unlocking the game of one Giannis Antetokounmpo? 
Is Jim Boylan the guy to unlock the game for Larry Marketing? I think a lot of that has to do with what Laurie wants to become also. So while I don't think it's kind of hard to put that on, you know, just a coach, but the system is going to play a part, you know, what offense they're running. If they're getting out on the floor and in transition, then yeah, but a lot of that is going to be based on how hard Laurie works in the offseason, what different elements he adds to, you know, his game, because I still think we, we already know he can stretch the floor. Outside of that, you know, he can put the ball on the floor and transition now. One thing I like to see him do a lot better of is posting up smaller, smaller guards, especially when teams go small. But he has... As a, I mean, the ceiling is very high for him. It's just how how bad he wants it. Laurie's a naturally nice, nice kid. You know, very nice kid. Very talented. But, oh no, I'm not going to question how hard he wants it. But I just, I want to see a lot of stuff with him, I think, is going to have to be brought out of him. And I don't know if, I don't know if, Boylan is the guy, or if anybody could be the guy, I think it takes the player like wanting more for themselves and not settling. And, you know, Laurie's first two years, while productive, Mm -hmm. that he's shown flashes, I think he's settled. I think, you know, what he looks like to start off next year, I mean, he had the injury beginning this year to set him back, but I want to see him come into the season healthy just to see just being around these guys and you see him around town a lot mm-hmm. um john paxson made it a point in his postseason press conferences to say yo these guys have to put in the work to take care of their bodies almost like these guys aren't coming into camp ready to roll and we've seen this for the last two years he like just made a point to hammer that in and to kind of get it across to these guys in the media like yo go put in the records at work and as I remember, Larry after his rookie season, he played in the World Championships, mm-hmm. and we saw his body. It was like, yo, yeah, put on twenty. Like pounds. He put on twenty pounds, so yeah. it's like, I've seen Larry put in work. Some guys are just injury prone, and they get nagging injuries. You know, I hope he has success. I want the best for him. Like you said, the battle between he and Zach Levine to see who's going to be the face. Mm-hmm. This is the last dilemma, and we'll close it out. Trey Falonzo. Sign Pat Bev, sign Terry Rozier, or is there someone off the radar that you think the Bulls should go after to sign this dilemma they have at the point guard spot? Oh, it's that's tough because I look at Terry Rozier. We only seen like and really Terry Rozier is an issue of if Kyrie goes, he probably stays. Yeah, he more than stays. likely he stays in Boston. Yeah, and you said Lonzo, Trey for Lonzo. No, um. Patrick Beverly be a free agency. Yeah, he's not as much as I love Pat. I don't know if he's not what you yeah. mean. Yeah. Oh no, I'm looking at, you know, he has a big contract. He's I think 30 now, but depending on what the Grizzly do, and they've already, you know, according to sources, mm. you know, signed. Oh, they're, they're they, they pretty they're, much they're have committed to Ja. Yeah. But, you know. And you have to give him the rock. 
Yeah, of course. You draft yeah. him here. Here's yeah. the ball. I mean, you can't, him and Jaren Jackson you can't do that thing where, you know, Mike has been there for that long and yeah. you just kind of naturally, uh, you got to get, it would be nice if Mike could sit there and take that. It's funny because Mike, that's how he inherited the spot mm-hmm. and snatched it from Kyle Lowry. Yep. That's how Kyle Lowry ended up in, a, in, in Toronto. Toronto. Ironic. Yeah. They were splitting minutes back yeah. there with, uh, man, what is it, Lionel Hollins, I believe. But, yeah, Mike Conley is a guy I would look at for here. But, you know, just that contract, everything, I don't see it happening. But out of those three, you mentioned Lonzo, Terry Rose here. I I mean, that I don't think it moves the needle as much just because I look at Lonzo as a guy that's going to set the table, but he's a guy that he's not aggressive enough at that position. Mm -hmm. You know, and you fall into the same issues you kind of do with uh, Chris Dunn, where he doesn't really help them with floor spacing. Absolutely. And then you look at Terry Rozier. This is a guy who needs the ball in his hands. You know, that's going to conflict with what Zach wants to do. <laughs> it's gonna take away touches from Laurie. So I mean I don't know. They have I mean they have options at number seven. I know a lot of Bulls fans are down on that, but I mean Encourage them C4. Yeah, yeah. You Talk gotta, them off the ledge. You know, if you're gonna be if you're a Bulls fan, Chicago sports fan in general, you live by optimism. At all. So I mean I still think there's gonna be uh, Hey, Chicago's here. good. Yeah. Okay. Cubs mm-hmm. are holding down the summer. The Bears are gonna hold down the fall. And we'll let everybody else catch up. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they, they'll have options. I mean, you know, they. I don't think they have to the, – we know the Bulls are not going to do anything that shocks us or surprises us. So yeah. I think they take the best talent there yeah. at all. But I really do think they're going to look very closely at need now because they pretty much – thrown Chris Dunn under the bus like a couple times already. You know, just last year, the off-season comments about they were questioning his work ethic, whether he's putting in the work ethic. And then I think, you know, Paxton said they were good at two, three, four, and five. You know. I don't know about all that. Yeah. Going into, you know, just uh, his comments like a little while ago. So, I mean, they've already kind of like put a lot of pressure on Chris Dunn to return Man, he has been throwing daggers at Chris Dunn. I'm like, Pax, you're not pulling punches at all. No, he's not. It's just not. I don't know if he's just not not pleased with him. I don't know Chris Dunn to be, you know, difficult. I know him to be a good teammate. I've heard from everybody that's met him. As a person, like, he's a really good kid. Yeah, really good kid. I mean, I wouldn't, I'd be the last person to question his work ethic. But, you know, obviously then, since they they're closer to him, and obviously he's just putting the pressure on. Hey, man, you got to be better. Yeah. A2S, as I said before, my guy at C4 Dunk. You can also follow my guy Brian Crawford at B underscore Crawford D. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. As always, go and check out our previous podcast iTunes right now, Spotify, and also SoundCloud, and also under. The Under the Hood Podcast Network. You can find us there as well. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to dig in, start watching YouTube with some of these prospects, check out who the Bulls are bringing in, talk about some of the workouts. With all of that being said, to all of the media covering the Chicago Bulls and everybody talking to sports radio and doing podcasts, let's just go ahead and get our podcast and our content ready for the uh, Cam Reddish press conference, okay? <laughs> Everything's lining up. I'm just saying. Just go ahead and get that story ready. 
And if they surprise us, then we'll just go ahead and, ahead and adjust on the fly. But uh, for my guys, as I said before, three dudes from the game that love the game, talking about the game. We'll see you guys next time on According to Sources. <laughs>